Hello and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. It was a historic week here at the pod because we can now say for the first time in the history of the universe that this podcast has been going on longer than the time that has elapsed since UConn has lost back-to-back games. (laughs) I mean, we're lapping that time right now. What are we, in our third season? Oh my God, we're in our third season? Yeah, we are. <laughs> Where did that happen? I, I, I didn't know. think about that until I just said it. <laughs> yeah, we had the that's COVID crazy. Season. We had the COVID season. We had last season. Wow. Okay. So we're <laughs> in our third season. It has only been, uh, you know, UConn hasn't lost back-to-back games in about a week. So someone who's better at math than me can figure that out. But we've been going longer. Obviously, UConn follows up its defeat to South Carolina with a loss at Marquette. They bounced back against Georgetown. It wasn't necessarily the easiest win, but I don't think style points matter right now with the way that this team is going. We also got the first NCAA bracket reveal. It's already gotten a little shaken up since then. And we've got two pretty good games this weekend coming up or this week against Creighton at home and then Villanova on the road. So there's a lot to get to, but let's start with Marquette because... Obviously, anytime a record that stood for 30 years falls, it's noteworthy. The last time you kind of lost back-to-back games was 1992-93. When there was a Villanova game earlier in the year. No, Villanova wasn't back-to-back losses, was it? No, it wasn't. No. Um, I meant the uh, Princeton game. Mm-hmm. That was a close one where they just kind of snuck away with it at the end. But I think when that happened, it felt like, okay, the way that this streak is going to fall is going to be because of injuries. Because obviously in that Princeton game, Nika goes down with a concussion. Then Lou goes down with that foot injury, and they're left with literally just Caroline and Enesh as the guards on the floor. The lead collapsed. They held on. Enesh at the free throws to win. But ultimately, that's what it is. It's not just one season of incredible injury luck incredibly bad injury luck it's two straight seasons now you have a national player of the year on the bench a top candidate for national player of the year if she was healthy on the bench someone who at least would have been a freshman who contributed a lot and then a freshman or a sophomore who did contribute a lot as a freshman last year so there was a lot of a lot that needed to happen for UConn to be put in this position and really my feeling from watching that game was it was Villanova. It was the same performance as Villanova, except it was on the road and they couldn't quite come over that hump and they couldn't dig down and find that energy. When they went to their reserves, those tanks were empty. And once that happened, you could kind of see that maybe it wasn't, they weren't going to turn it around the way that they did against Villanova. It, it was just the longer the game went on, the more difficult it became and they couldn't find that spark of energy. They couldn't find that run. And that's how it goes down. But Marquette's a good team. It's not like they just lost to Butler or Georgetown, for example, who they just played. Marquette's probably the third, fourth, fifth, if you're really not that optimistic on them, but they're a good team. They've played UConn tough and, the style that they played was tough for you kind of go against given the circumstances, given how tired they were given how shorthanded they are in general and given how 
this isn't the most offense that this team could potentially put on the floor. I mean, that was the problem. Their defense was for the most part fine. I mean, they didn't let up a ton of points. It didn't play great, but they needed the offense. They couldn't get it. They didn't have anyone to turn to, to get it. So this happened last year. They lost to Villanova at home in a game that no one really thought they were going to lose. It happens this year at Marquette and it just, it just so happens to be back-to-back losses, but I don't think it really changes my outlook on this team being one of the better teams in the country. I'm just a little more concerned about, okay, how do they get over this hump with the fatigue? How do they kind of get back on track and get that energy back so that every single game isn't this grinded out, ugly, all 40 minutes type showdown? Yeah. I think when you look at the the strength of games that they've played over the last two to three weeks, it's not necessarily a surprising loss. You had this really tough set of games. Then a game against South Carolina where most of the starters played 40 minutes on Sunday in a really physical game, a challenging game, a game that was probably also mentally exhausting. And then you go on the road to Marquette, a good team, and I don't think it's particularly surprising that – some of this stuff was going to catch up with UConn eventually, and it didn't do it. They didn't have that happen against South Carolina, which gives you a really good outlook for the postseason, and then it does catch up to them against Marquette. But I think that happens to a lot of teams, and teams that are not in the injury situation that UConn is in have these types of losses. And like you said, Marquette's a good team. They've had some really good wins in non-conference play at the beginning of the season. It's not a bad loss. It's still a quad one loss if you want to look at it from like a bracket type perspective. So I don't, I agree. Nothing really changes my outlook for, for, for this team from that loss. I think it's just how do they get through this stretch until they can get someone else healthy or get some scoring off the bench because I think we're seeing that kind of catch up with them a little bit. Yeah, it's the same conversation that we've been having about you turn to the bench and Ayanna Patterson had a decent game. Mari DeBerry. I mean, they all played decently in their most recent action against Georgetown, but in the type of game like Marquette, when you need someone who can put the ball in the basket, they don't have anyone they can turn to. If you're taking Nika Mule off the court, then suddenly you don't have your best passer out there. And if you're taking one of Aliyah Edwards or, Dorka Yuhas out of the game, whoever you're putting in, whether it's Ayana or Amari, aren't the same scoring threat. And then that leads to more attention to the other players. So that's it. It's not just what those individual players can do. It's what the rest of the players on the floor, how that's going to impact them. So yeah, Caroline would be a huge boost to this team because if nothing else, if lose off her game on a given day or you know someone else doesn't necessarily have it and caroline does then you can roll with her you're not just forced with trying to stick with those five players that you have and hoping they figure it out along the way at some point you can give them breathers you can give defenses a different look i mean there's got to be an element of when these teams are playing the five starters the whole game and they have so much tape on them now can they figure out a little bit better what's going to happen and how they're going to try and score these points? Because there's not really a whole lot of dynamism off the bench and there's not other players that, that they have to think about. Maybe I'm overstating it a little, but it it's still just, there's constant 
difficulties that come with not having anyone on the bench. And it seems like Caroline's getting closer, at least from what Gino's saying. But at the same time, we still see her on the bench and she's got earplugs in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't feel like it's, you know, a tomorrow thing, which is unfortunate because obviously this team could use someone tomorrow. But I don't know what to make of AZ either because Gino seems to be going out of his way not to give a straight answer on when she's going to be back. And I mean, that that's probably intentional, but even to have some update on her progress, like, oh yeah, she's off crutches and this is what she's going through now, but we're still not putting a timeline on it. But we haven't heard anything tangible about easy besides Gino relaying that she said that she plans to be back well before the NCAA tournament, which is now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This team is running out of time. I think that's the most concerning thing. When you like look ahead, it's not anything to do with this Marquette loss. It's that they still have these huge two big injuries that they're battling. And it felt for a while, like there was so much time to like for that, them to get healthy and for that to all work itself out. But we're somehow at mid-February now, and there's only a couple weeks left of the regular season, and and time is starting to work against this team a little bit. Yeah, I think I'm less concerned about... They need the bodies, but I'm not that concerned about, okay, well, they need Caroline back because they're not getting three-point shooting, or they need AZ back because they can't score. We've seen what they can do even without those players. They're still playing pretty well. I'm I'm more... am looking to when can they get a break and when can they get a true rest not just like three days isn't nothing and Gino said before the Georgetown game that they had a spa day where it's just kind of step back and get take your mind off whatever's stressing you whether it's basketball or technology or anything like that just a nice relaxing day you can't have those in the three days between games because you still have to practice you still have to maintain your conditioning level and you look at it and it's okay well it's it's not this week and if it's not this week okay well it's not next week okay well if it's not next week the week after oh well then you're into the big east tournament and you got to play three games in three days then you get your break but that feels like a really long time especially with some good teams on the schedule between now and then yeah, exactly. It's like you've got two huge games this week, and then they still have a couple games that week after. I guess they get four days between like their last game and the Big East tournament, but it kind of gets counteracted by having to play three games in three days. Yeah, even if you have one of Caroline or AZ available in those games, I think they'll be fine. But if they don't, they would also they'd be helped by getting an easy game in that quarterfinals where it's someone that they can handle with ease, get the starters out after have the starters play like 25 minutes in that game as I mean, as best they can, when you have eight, there's only so many, you have to have players out there to begin with, but maybe you can manage it a little better. Maybe they really use all their timeouts. And then if you can get to the semifinal and have that be, a more comfortable, like not saying a blowout, but you know, you go into the fourth quarter feeling pretty good and then you can save it a little bit for the championship. If we were just talking about this team, like eliminate the fatigue factor, I have no doubt that they'd win the big East tournament. None whatsoever. 
but it's just how is that fatigue gonna what, what what's that fatigue gonna look like in three weeks when they start the Big East tournament? And then at the same time, what's that gonna look like in the second game in two days and especially in the third game in three days? Is it gonna catch up to them? Or because it's a tournament, because there's a trophy on the line, are they just gonna be able to push through it? Yeah, and I think the other key part of that is like you're looking at a championship game that's probably not going to be easy. Like it's likely they're going to play Villanova again in that championship game. I think mean, like we saw it when Villanova came and Hartford. We'll see it again this weekend. And we just saw it with how good Villanova's been in general right now. Is that like that's not an easy game? It's a top fifteen game. Even Georgetown, it's not like either of those two Georgetown games were super easy, <laughs> and they had AZ FUD for half of one of them. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if half is necessarily true, but <laughs> the point stands. They weren't exhausted yeah. by that point. They had a pretty full roster and it still wasn't an easy game. So even these teams that aren't necessarily that good, they're going to make it tough on UConn. And I think kind of as the loss to Marquette maybe gave other teams the sense that UConn's vulnerable and they can be taken down. Whether or not that's true or not, maybe the other teams feel like it's true and that's all they need to have that extra boost going forward. And I think we saw with the Georgetown games, the two that have been close, also the Marquette game. And so like, when you can get UConn into that low scoring game, I think these teams have a chance. Even the Providence game where that was a little closer. I don't know, what was that a week ago, two weeks ago? Time doesn't make any sense anymore, but... <laughs> I think you've seen that if you can play them physically and play a defensive game and you kind of can't get out on in transition and can't go on these scoring runs, that they can keep games close. And then the Marquette game kind of showed that you can finish it off. Yeah, Gino said it, maybe it was before Georgetown, where this is such a tough time of the year because when it's early in the year, you're just excited to be playing. And March, it's it's pretty easy to play in March because you have something to play for. And if you don't play well, the season's over, but this time of the year, it's the end of the regular season played. Most of these teams, you have played all these teams before you're tired, you're worn down, you're dealing with nagging injuries. Every team is, it's not just UConn in those situations. UConn it's exacerbated, but you, you forget how much of a grinder February can be. It's almost like it's the toughest month of the season with just in mentally trying to push through all these things, especially getting that reset for 10 days before the NCAA tournament begins. So I think it, it was first obvious with Villanova and then carried into Providence. And as we saw, they can get up for a game with South Carolina, but then coming off that high, it does make sense that, what happened with Mark had happened when it did because you come down and you can't find that energy again. And you don't have 15,000 people going nuts every time you do something. And whether or not they want to say it or not, I imagine they probably went into this game thinking, okay, well, we just played South Carolina. We can take a little bit of a breath. Like this isn't going to be as tough. And then when you start getting met with that really hard resistance, I can imagine it gets a whole lot harder to play. So I didn't think they were going to lose to Marquette. I even through like the third quarter, I thought that they were just going to figure out a way and pull it out. And then there was a certain point in the fourth quarter, a certain play happened. I forget what it was where that's when I finally started to be like, yeah, okay, they're in trouble. And that's what happened. But 
at the same time, it felt Bennett hindsight's great, but it, it felt like a loss like this was coming and hopefully that refocuses them and just helps them out going forward. Exactly. I think the refocusing part is a big thing and having that loss, we said it earlier in the season too, but sometimes you learn more from a loss than you do from a win. Um, and I think hopefully that's going to be the case with this Marquette loss and, and refocusing this team. I think the other part of that loss that maybe got we didn't hit on quite yet here is like it happens to most teams and like it doesn't reason it doesn't say that much about like what UConn can do in the long run in March this season is because I think we see it from every team that's going to make a run in March. I mean, Indiana has a loss like that to Michigan State. Stanford has two losses like that to USC and to Washington. Yeah, South Carolina doesn't have one this year, but they had two of those types of losses last year and still went and went on to win a national championship. So it happens. Like It doesn't really change the outlook for this team, just like it doesn't for those other teams. Yeah, South Carolina's had a couple close, I mean, mm-hmm. for their standards, closer games against other schools that weren't anything special, right? Yeah, they had close games with, I think, Mississippi State was the closest one. Uh, some closer calls with Alabama and with Georgia. I think, had we seen, like, the SEC have, like, a normal SEC-type year, they might have lost a game at this point. Yeah, it's weird how bad the sec is this year that's (laughs) i know the massey rankings don't necessarily play it out but i love to see the big east and sec beyond i'd even just say uconn and south carolina you take those two teams out and what do the rest of the conferences the two conferences look like compared against each other obviously that's that like it's one thing for rankings, but like just in terms of the way they play and how they'd match up against each other. I'd like to think it's similar. I'd still probably give the edge to the SEC, but it wouldn't be a very large one. Yeah, I think the SEC gets the edge in like the depth and that the bottom of the league is still much better than the bottom of the Big East. But I think, yeah, if you put Villanova and LSU side by side, I think we probably at least have the same opinion about LSU after. <laughs> Um, yesterday so like I don't know two teams that are even-ish I mean Villanova's top 15 team I say putting LSU somewhere around 10 to 15 is fair after their one ranked result of the season um, and then you've got like a Creighton team with Tennessee's the third best team in the SEC yeah Creighton and Tennessee it feels like that lines up pretty well as well so I'm not going to keep going but I think it's a suggest yes <laughs> Yeah, maybe the SEC has better size because the Big East is a pretty small conference mm-hmm. in terms of player size. I mean, even Anissa Morrow, really good big, not really big. Mm-hmm. So that's pr- that's probably part of the edge. I mean, like look at Villanova. Maddie Segrist is one of their bigger players, and she plays a lot more out on the perimeter than necessarily a true inside game. But regardless, the the difficulty and the competition that they're facing isn't that far off. It's these aren't the days of the AAC where UConn's just rolling over every single team. They wake up, they win by thirty, and they move on to the next one. These games are battles, and it's just kind of to be expected. Exactly. 
And that's a good thing, right? Like they probably yeah. would still be undefeated in the conference if we were talking about the American and they were playing East Carolina and Tulane and these teams that like they could show up worse than they did against Marquette and still win. Um, it's it's good that they're getting tested in conference play. Well, think about those two years immediately after Stewie, where whenever those teams found themselves in close games, they completely melted right. because they were never in those situations. This team, we will, we should be more worried about what this team looks like in blowout situations because that they haven't felt that all that frequently. <laughs> so it, yeah, it's tough and losing sucks. And some of these games are not particularly fun to watch. But it's better than the alternative. It's better than it was. And there's still a few blowouts on the schedule the rest of the way. It's not like every single game is going to be a 40-minute battle. Senior nights (laughs) against Xavier. They're going to be able to celebrate the two seniors very, very comfortably in that one. (laughs) I don't think St. John's gives them much trouble. I don't think... I think DePaul will be fun just to see how the bigs do against Anissa Morrow again, because I could see Anissa Morrow being a little motivated for that game based on the way the last one went. But we kind of saw the last time they played DePaul doesn't have a whole lot outside of Anissa Morrow. So mm-hmm. you get through this week and the quality lightens up, even if the number of games don't. Exactly. I think you look at that. So John's game with that one will be a little tougher, but it's not at the level that Villanova and Creighton are at. And then, DePaul game, like you said, there's nothing really outside of Nisamora. And also, DePaul's not like a defensive-minded team. So a lot of what you're seeing right now is like teams being very physical defensively with UConn and them struggling to create offense. I don't really think that's going to be a problem against DePaul, where they can just give Aaliyah Edwards and Dorky Uhas the ball inside, and they'll be fine. It feels like this week is really going to show what to expect out of this team at least until the first round of the NCAA tournament. I think once they get through the Big East tournament and get that extended break, it's <laughs> going to look a lot different after that. But if they come out and they play well, and I don't think they're going to blow out Creighton the way they did last time, but if they win comfortably, and then if Villanova doesn't give them a ton of trouble down there, I feel pretty good. And even if these games are tight, but they win both of them, I still think you feel pretty good about their chances. It's just if, some of these same problems persist and they lose, even if they lose both, of, if they lose both of these games, then yeah, I'm going to start getting worried, especially right. if it's very clearly fatigue related. If they just come out and play horrible, that's different, but it's so, so obvious that the way that they've been playing recently has been a direct product of how fatigued they've been because they don't make these type of mistakes that they're making right now. Normally it's all, it's mental mistakes that aren't typical of this team. We've seen plenty of mental mistakes that they do do frequently. The ones that they're doing now, these weird passes, these high passes that like just sail out of bounds or the, the soft passes that get picked off easily. Those aren't their usual turnovers. Their usual turnovers are trying to force it into somewhere where it's not necessarily open or, you know, just bad ball handling at some point because they don't have enough ball handlers and, you know, Dumb passes, but not bad passes, if that makes sense. Like the quality of the pass isn't necessarily the problem. It's a firm pass. It's the right pass. But you're not just looping it over to someone that's easy for someone to pick up or swat away. So it all depends on, I guess, the eye test, which isn't necessarily the uh, easiest way to judge a team. But (laughs) 
that's where we are right now. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think with Creighton, I'd expect them to have a little bit less trouble because of the size advantage. I think that UConn's going to, even though, not not saying this well, but like even though Creighton's the better team, I think the size advantage and the way that Creighton plays defense maybe won't give UConn as much trouble. So hopefully they can kind of get their confidence back a little bit with a little bit easier of a win, hopefully, than they had against Georgetown in that game. And then I think when you look to that Villanova game, even if it's tight, I think you feel really good about coming out with a win if they get a win on the road there. That's a really tough game, and I think especially the way Villanova's playing right now, I don't think they've lost since that game against UConn. I mean, Maddie Segrist is coming off like an insane 50-point night this weekend, so it's a really good Villanova team, and they're playing their best basketball of the season. It's insane that she's not getting real National Player of the Year consideration. It makes me like so angry, <laughs> so angry because she should absolutely be like a top three candidate. Especially when you look at like it's not like Aaliyah Boston is a clear and obvious favorite the way that she was <laughs> last year. We don't need to uh, make this episode about Caitlin Clark, and then I think Angel Reese's stock, at least in that, takes a bit of a hit with the way that she played against South Carolina. So it's not like there's any perfect candidates, but she should at least be in the conversation. Exactly. And yeah, we don't need to make this about Caitlin Clark, but like if we're looking at you know, volume scores that are going to win a National Player of the Year award, it's going to go and say that Maddie Seacrest's numbers are much more efficient. <laughs> Most people's are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've referenced it a few times, but we haven't spoken about it directly but this past week on Thursday, the NCAA selection committee revealed its top 16 for the first time. They'll do this once more before selection Sunday, which is a month from yesterday, Sunday, right? It's selection Monday, right? So don't, or did they make Sunday. them the same? No, you're right. They might it's have back to Sunday. Yeah. UConn. As expected, even after the Marquette loss, is a number one overall seed, or is a number one seed. They are the number four overall one seed behind South Carolina, Stanford, and Indiana in their region, which it's already thrown off. They'd be in Seattle. They'd be one of the teams in Seattle. The two seed was LSU, the three seed was Michigan, and the four seed was Virginia Tech. I thought that was a pretty good region, but the big thing is that the committee still views UConn as a one seed, and I can't imagine without another loss that would change. Yeah, I think if UConn wins out, there's pretty securely on the one line. I don't think anyone's going to overtake them. I think they're in a good spot, especially considering that we're no longer. I feel like in past years we've talked about like UConn might fall because they don't have the opportunity to pick up big wins in conference play. I don't think that's the case anymore. You've got two opportunities this week to pick up wins that are top 25 net wins with Creighton and Villanova. Another shot at likely at least one of those teams in the Big East tournament. So plenty of chances to pick up big wins. They have plenty of big wins. If they went out, they will definitely stay on that one line. And it very much seems to be trending to them ending up out in Seattle, which I, I largely personally, I largely don't know how to feel about that because is Seattle a better city than Greenville? Yes. Is it harder to get to? Also, yes. Yeah. 
yeah, obviously not the ideal place probably to be if you're trying to travel to watch UConn play, but I think that's pretty likely where they are. The world where they don't end up in Seattle is I think somehow they become the number two overall one seed, which isn't out of the question, but I think things would have to go pretty wrong for Indiana for that to happen. I assume the tournament schedule pretty much stays on East Coast time, right? Like, that's, we're not going to have 10 o'clock games that are 7 I, o'clock out there, right? I, that's a good question. I honestly haven't looked at it, but I, I really hope not because I'm going to be very annoyed if the games are at, like, 10 p.m. <laughs> because then the other side of that is uh, the, the games are on off days, but are practices for these teams going to be at, like, 6 a.m.? Because that's when the time in the arena is open. I mean, you're going to have to play two games. Well, for the Sweet 16 round, you're going to have to play two games in there, but then you're also going to have to have four practices in there throughout the day as well. Like that is a lot to fit into one arena in a single day. And I would just, I might just have to stay on East coast time. If we're going to be running on East coast time out there anyways, (laughs) that might just be the only solution. Yeah. Probably for the better. And you're going to be like, assuming they go to the final four, switching back to like central time a week later. It's a lot of time zone shifts. I know. Yeah, that's the other thing. So um, for them, I think it would it, it'll be fine because you fly charter out there and I, I think they have a pretty early schedule as it is. It's not like they're practicing at six o'clock and six o'clock p.m. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they're going to have to be getting up early for practices out there. But I'm just that's been a concern in the back of my head for these dual regionals as opposed to four with how are they going to make the logistics work with eight teams in each location and all the games are going to have to host. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. For sure. Yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting logistics question when you look at, it. I don't know. I'm not a fan of the two regional sites to begin with, but I think that's one of the many interesting logistical questions. Yeah. Or because it feels I don't think you can say to teams like, no, you're not going to get a chance to practice in the arena you're going to play in because sure. Could they all probably go over to Washington's arena or like down to Tacoma and practice there easily. But I think part of it is getting used to the sight lines and what it's like to play on that court and what those rims are like and just getting used to that arena and where you're going to be. So you're not walking in on game day figuring everything out so uh, it's gonna be interesting i'm very curious how it gets received by the coaches and simultaneously seattle is a brand new professional arena greenville from all accounts is like a terrible place to host (laughs) events isn't it yeah i haven't heard the best of things so hopefully they've had it they'll have a better handle on things but yeah i haven't heard the best (laughs) so maybe it actually would be a uh a plus to get sent out to Seattle because at least your facilities are going to be better. Yeah. I suppose so. What else about the bracket reveal caught your eye? Iowa as a two seed felt unexpected, but Villanova coming in as a four seed was pretty good to see. Yeah. I expect, didn't expect to see Villanova make it in because of, like they have, they don't have a lot of losses, but they just don't have that like big win. So I was very pleasantly surprised to see them on the four line. 
Um, I think that's a good thing for UConn overall as well, because it shows some respect for the Big East from the committee, which is going to help UConn and it helps Villanova um, and all the Big East teams that are sitting in the bubble. It'll help them as well. So I think that was a good thing to see. I actually wasn't surprised by Iowa on the two line. I think that was pretty expected. Once you get past like those top four, I think there's, well, there's the LSU questions, but then everyone else kind of has a lot of losses. So I think you saw a lot of respect for big wins and Iowa does have some of those. Um, So I think that's kind of why they came in on, on that two line and a lot of respect in general for the big 10. I mean, you've got five big 10 teams in the top 16. Yeah. How they handle LSU in the next in the next uh, reveal is going to be really interesting because what Charlie Cream said on ESPN after it happened was basically you have to reward at some point for a record and there was just no way that you could, you could measure them in one direction, but you couldn't measure them in another essentially. (laughs) And now we've gotten quite a measurement in the other direction. So if you're trying to compare UConn and LSU, there aren't a whole lot of individual games and it doesn't help that UConn played at home and LSU was on the road against South Carolina, but I don't think the venue yeah. accounts for a 20 point differential between UConn losing by four and LSU losing by four. So I I think it's fair to expect them to tumble from being the top two seed, but how far do you think they might fall? I think they dropped to the three line. I think, you know, when you look at the like, things that the committee looks like at bad losses is one of them. And I think when you lose by 24 points, that constitutes as a bad loss, regardless of who you're losing to. Um, and I think because LSU doesn't have a whole lot of data points, like if Stanford lost by 24 points to South Carolina tomorrow, do I think they would fall that far? No, because like they have a lot of other data points to and like counteract that but because LSU doesn't I think I would drop them to a three um and then I think should the similar result happen in the SEC tournament they could fall further yeah I mean if we're talking about games against teams that matter like I don't care how that South Carolina beat Clemson by 54 Clemson's Mm -hmm. a power five school because of the conference they're in but Clemson is not a good basketball team and it's not a good basketball program. Like, yes, Maryland lost by 25 to South Carolina, but they also didn't have one of their best players, their best player, actually, not just one of their best players. Yeah. No diamond Miller. So like, yeah, that actually could make up for 20 points. (laughs) Right. Alabama was within 13. Georgia was in, was within 17. Even South Dakota state put up a better fight. Granted, that's a good mid-major program, but it's still a mid-major program. So when you get beat that badly, it's it's tough. It's it's tough. Yeah, especially when, like I said, you just don't. They don't have any other wins that make you think, "Oh, that's a fluke." Like that is the one data point to look at them against top twenty-five opponents. The only other team that has been ranked when they played them was Arkansas. They're not top 25 teams. So like it's it's really the one data point. Your second best data point is probably that Tennessee game, which was pretty close. They did beat Alabama by like 38, which is an impressive win, but I don't think it's enough to be like, oh, that South Carolina game's a fluke. Well, and it's not even just that, but they only beat a bad Texas A&M team by six points. They had yeah. to go to overtime to beat Georgia 
the game before that, Tennessee was close. They only beat Arkansas by three. Like, if anything, that Alabama 38-point win looks like more of an outlier than anything else. Yeah, so I think that's going to be interesting. They still have a game, I think, with Mississippi State coming up, so that one will be an interesting one. Their SEC schedule, I think, is pretty easy, though, until they get into the the SEC tournament. They've got Ole Miss, Miss, Florida, Florida, Mississippi State. Yeah, Mississippi State is the one I would circle of what's left, and then you'll see who they get when they get to the um, tournament there. But, I mean, I think South Carolina and LSU are on a collision course in that tournament, unless one of them gets upset earlier on. Yeah, I was going to say two things are where there's three possibilities in this tournament for L or the SEC tournament. And like pretty much they'd have to beat LSU or beat South Carolina in the tournament to uh, really not have what happens in the SEC tournament hurt it. Because if it loses before getting to South Carolina, that's bad. If it gets blown out by South Carolina again, like let's just say it's a 20 point loss this time. Mm -hmm. And also it's not like that was a 24 point loss that got like a little blown out of proportion at the end. That was all South Carolina, all game. Yeah. (laughs) And even if they lose to South Carolina and it's close, there's still going to be that South Carolina data point earlier. So I don't think there's really any scenario where, LSU is going to come out of the SEC tournament looking a lot prettier than it did prior, unless it beats South Carolina at some point. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, do you have any other uh, notes on bracketology? Because if you missed it, Megan had a bracket projection go out in the Washington Post, which, although we already knew this, officially makes Megan much cooler than I have ever been. (laughs) I don't know about that, but (laughs) yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing with this stuff is like things move so fast. Like I ignore the regions completely because they just are irrelevant five minutes later. Honestly, this whole thing was irrelevant by the time it came out because it only had games through like Wednesday and, you know, Iowa and Indiana played on, on Thursday before the release. But yeah, I mean, I think the biggest things if you're looking at UConn specifically is like, when does UConn win out? Do they get healthy? I think the other big question with where UConn is seated right now is like, how has the committee looked at the injuries? I think what we've seen in the past is like last year, they got that big bump when Paige Beckers came back. So that leads me to think that they aren't necessarily like considering like a healthy AZ FUD in the seating for UConn, which means that they could move up. I think there's mixed thoughts on that though. Like I know Charlie Cream said he thinks they are. Kind of saying that Huffet is healthy to put them on the floor line, I kind of highly disagree with that because the number of quality wins that UConn has compared to most teams and the number of those that have come without FUD or the ones that came with FUD, they didn't have dorky UHAs. So, like, I think there's a lot of kind of conflicting points on that. But obviously getting healthy is going to help them either way. I think that is something that it'll be interesting to see maybe if, like, by the next release they do have FUD back even just for a game. Like, if they move at all because of that. Um, But then, yeah, like, if you're looking for how else UConn moves up, like, if Stanford loses, that helps. I think you want Utah and Iowa to not go on some kind of insane uh, win streak as well because that they could maybe overtake UConn. I still think UConn has too many good wins for them to overtake UConn 
this August UConn wins out, but I think those are the kind of things that you're looking at in terms of what kind of effect UConn seeding going forward. Yeah, I thought it was weird what Charlie said about UConn because, yeah, they they haven't, a lot of their good wins came against AZ, but have you not watched them without her? It's not yeah. like they've, like last year, they were hanging on for dear life until Paige got back. That was obvious. That's not the case this year. They've just kind of continued rolling along without AZ and they played South Carolina closer than anyone else without AZ. They, I mean, their two losses earlier in the year. Yeah. One was when AZ went out the game, she went out and the other one, they literally didn't have anyone left. So I think if you're looking at it pretty objectively as the committee, I almost feel like you, I think you can give Notre Dame credit for still beating UConn Mm -hmm. without AZ, but the Maryland one feels like you either throw that out or you even credit UConn with a good loss because of all the circumstances with that. And then, yeah, they lose to Marquette. But like you said, everyone else has that type of loss except South Carolina. So and to say that UConn got a bump for being without AZ just feels like it, it feels like it's not a great, uh, great indicator of how this year has gone for UConn yeah and my my take on where things are at right now is I don't think that happened do I think they could get a bump if they get easy back yeah I think that UConn and Stanford are very close when you look at their resumes right now like it's it's there's not a lot of difference between those two resumes and could UConn maybe move into that third overall spot if they get easy back yeah that's a possibility but I don't think they're gonna fall just because AZ's not healthy Right. They've done too. They've played without her for so long that I don't think you can say their resume is only good because of AZ. That just, yeah, it, it feels incomplete to try and make that argument. Yeah, they have a lot of those top 25 net wins without her. And then, like, I think you look at a lot of the wins with her, like, they didn't have Dorcas. So, like, that's a big piece of this team, too. Yeah. And as we saw, Dorka didn't necessarily have the best game against South Carolina, but she has been great pretty much every other game this season. And especially as Ali has been struggling for the past, I don't know, two, three weeks, maybe three weeks is pushing in a little, but she hasn't been her same dominant self, especially not every single night, yeah. but Dorka stepped up in those absences when she hasn't been there. So I, I don't think she's necessarily gotten the, uh, the, praise that she deserves for how good she's been this season simply because she missed that time and Aaliyah was so good for so long right yeah but I think if you look at like the last couple games especially she's been really good if they were going to win that Marquette game it was going to be because of her she was really felt like one of the the few players that looked really good in that game yeah maybe she's got more uh more energy than anyone else after having to sit (laughs) out those games earlier in the year yeah maybe (laughs) who knows but It'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds this week against these two teams. Creighton on Wednesday at Gamble Pavilion. Villanova on Saturday on the road. Until then, that'll do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. Thanks for listening.